Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. I want to start this morning uh, just by reading, reading the story that we're, we're so familiar with, but we never, ever want to forget. So I want to, I want to read. I'm not going to have it on the screen because actually... I think sometimes it's good for us just to listen. And there's something about listening instead of watching that tunes our attention in a little bit differently. If you want to close your eyes, if you can hear words better with your eyes closed, you're welcome to do that. But I'm going to read the story uh, from Luke 12, uh, 24, verse 1 to 12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and they bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this to them. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However... Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Let's pray. Lord, it is good for us to always remember this story. It's good for us to put ourselves in the people who actually physically were there. And try to remember, like, what would it have been like going to look for the one that they loved in his tomb, yet he wasn't there? Jesus, I wonder if it was hope. I wonder if it was confusion. I wonder if it was surprise or shock or dismay. But I pray, Father, more than anything else, our response would be joy. And that joy would be rediscovered this morning. Amen. So often... I read this passage. I love going through the Gospels regularly because I just love reading about Jesus' life. And we, I read this account of Jesus' resurrection. And I catch myself always thinking about verse 12. Let me put that up here. Okay, so verse 12. This is the one that kind of grabs me a little bit different. This part where it says, Peter went home again wondering what had happened. This caught my attention again this last week. And I became curious, a little more curious than I have in other times. And I wondered to myself, you know, is Peter wondering what had happened because he was confused? Like, I wonder what happened to Jesus. Like, he sincerely didn't know. Or is Peter wondering out of amazement, wondering and marveling? Whoa, Jesus, like, you're not here. Uh, You're alive. Like, I wonder if he's wondering kind of in that way. In my heart, I wanted to jump and just say, well, Peter wouldn't have been confused. Surely he would have been excited to see that everything that the Lord told him was true. In my heart, I didn't want to believe that Peter could have been confused. After all, think about this. 
when, when the women come back and they tell the 11 apostles and all the other believers that, that Jesus isn't there, it says that they didn't believe him. But in this account, in Luke's account, it says that Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb. In the Gospel of John, we also see that Peter and John ran to the tomb. So when it says that a bunch of people didn't believe, yet these two ran to the tomb, to me it seems like there's a glimmer of hope and optimism in there. Don't you think? It's not just like, oh, fooey, that's, that's ridiculous. Oh, really? Like, this is what he said was going to happen. And now you're saying that it did happen. I want to go and see for myself. You know, these are the things that I felt in my heart. But I wanted to make sure that my feelings were accurate. I don't want to just go off of my heart. So I did a little bit of studying and research. And this word wondering from verse 12 in, in its original language means that Peter thought that this empty tomb was indeed a marvel and something amazing. He didn't come away from there scratching his head. He came out of there with joy and excitement that Jesus has done what he said he would do. For us as Christians, keeping our awe and our wonder of God, I think is really, really important. I don't ever want to become ho-hum or routine about what Jesus is doing in my life or in our church or in our community. I want to look at Jesus and I want to say, wow, Jesus, you've done it again because I see him moving in us. I see you doing great things, Lord. You're answering our prayers. You're even doing things that we haven't asked for because we know that you love us. That's the kind of attitude and response I always want to have. That's the kind of wonder I always want to maintain. To me, the book of Psalms portrays the wonder for God maybe better than anywhere else in the Bible. It's full of prayers and worship and praise to a God who people obviously have been spending much time contemplating and wondering about. So today, on the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus coming back to life, conquering death, and, and sealing his victory over sin, I thought it would be helpful for us to look at a psalm. So we're going to look at Psalm 116 as a way to celebrate and to be in awe of God's good work in our lives. As we read and reflect on Psalm 116 together, I want to invite you to allow yourself to think, to ponder, to wonder about your own life and your own connection with Jesus. You know what, honestly, if, if there's one snippet from this whole psalm that really stands out to you, it's more important for you to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying in that moment than it is to pay attention to anything else I might be saying. So if you're a note taker or if you want to have your phone out and you want to be following along with me, if you want to take notes in your Bible or writing down on something, do it. Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Because those things, when we wonder about God, that's where our heart really comes alive. Maybe you just want to write something down that comes to you that you, maybe has never occurred to you before. Maybe it's a memory of how God's been working in your life. Maybe it's thanksgiving or gratitude for his mercy or praise for his promises. Either way, let's just be in awe of God together this morning. Are you ready? Let's all take a deep breath. You guys will do anything I say. I love that. So we're going to start just with a few verses here at the beginning of Psalm 116, and then I'll share some thoughts. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death 
entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. So this psalm starts with love for God, which is fitting because the Lord started with love for us. Lord, I love you is always a fitting response to anything that God brings into our lives. So maybe think of a couple of verses from 1 John 4. Verse 10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then verse 19, a few verses later says, we love because he first loved us. When I look at verses 3 and 4 here from Psalm 116, they are a truth about where we were before we trusted in Jesus. Our lives were over, if we're honest. Our sin had condemned us to death, and the very thing that we needed saving from, death brought on by our sin, is what Jesus willingly endured and triumphed over on this day. I think this is what Peter marveled at personally when he saw the empty tomb. You have to realize with Peter, once again, that just like days ago, a few days back, he had denied Jesus three times. On Thursday, Jesus told him that he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. Can you, can you imagine the agony? Can you imagine how distant he may have felt from Jesus, this man who had walked with him for three years, who had given his life for him, and now here he was denying him, and, and then he hears this news like, oh, he's, he's back, like he's not dead any longer, so maybe there's a chance for me to be redeemed, to be forgiven, that like his love hasn't failed I think those are good things to marvel at. Think of your own life experience with Jesus for just a moment. What was it, if you can think back and recollect, what was it that initially made you call on Jesus to save you? Did you feel the weight of your own sin and you were wrestling with life? And it's like, ah, this just isn't making sense. I don't have joy. I don't have purpose. My life feels like it's just getting sucked down into darkness and I can't do anything about it. And then all of a sudden, oh, you mean there's this guy named Jesus who loves me and he died for me. Oh, that sounds hopeful. His love for you is very real, friends. If you haven't called on Jesus to save you, it's never too late. He's already paid the price. Jesus took the punishment for our sin when he died on the cross. And if we believe in him and accept what he's done for us, we will be saved. Death and separation from God do not need to be a threat that we fear. Because when we trust in Jesus, eternal life is a promise that we can hold on to. Starting at verse 5 again. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. So because of the wonderful character 
of Jesus. We saw that he's gracious, he's righteous, he's compassionate, he's a protecting God. It's no surprise just to see how good the Lord has been to us, right? It's his nature. He didn't do any of these things begrudgingly, but he did them out of a heart that desired to. That's something important for us to notice. This section of verses reminds me of what Jesus' invitation is to us in Matthew 11, verse 29, where Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, he really does care about us in such a complete sense. He didn't just rescue us and then tell us, all right, now you better not screw up again because this is your last chance. It's actually, he's doing us a great favor in rescuing us, in redeeming us and giving us this rest for our souls that we could not have apart from him. He cares about the whole person, mind, body, spirit, all these kinds of things. Do you ever wonder why verse 7, I'll, I'll go back to, or there it is, yeah. Do you ever wonder why verse 7 says, return to your rest? We can only return to something that we have experienced before, right? Perhaps this is an invitation from the psalmist for a renewed relationship with God, where maybe we had something and it was awesome, and we drew close to God on a daily basis, but over time it's grown cold and it's grown routine or it's grown religious and the relationship piece is actually missing. Maybe God's just saying, why don't you come back? Let's just, let's refresh things again because this isn't what you want. This isn't what I want. We both want something that'll bring us joy and this isn't it. So let's just clean things up and start over together. Maybe that's what it is, right? And you return to this. Maybe it's rediscovering the joy that we first felt when we trusted in Jesus. Maybe we're meant to trust in Jesus for the first time because he created us in his image to be like him, right? But through sin, we wandered away and returning to him means returning back to that image of God that we're created in. Genesis 1 verse 26 and 27 talks all about that. Looking at this passage here that's on the screen, I I feel like verse 9 is, is really important. It gives us the reason why God saved us. He delivered us from death so that we may walk with him. Verse 9 in the New Living Translation of the Bible says, And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. Oh man, walking in the Lord's presence. That makes a lot of sense, right? Like, why would God save us if we weren't meant to be with him and in his presence? If he didn't want to have anything to do with us, why would he have saved us, right? So the presence of God, being with him is is crucial. The Amplified Translation of the Bible says uh, verse 9 like this. I, I kind of like this one. I will walk in submissive wonder before the Lord in the land of the living. I like that. Submissive wonder. Where we give our lives to him. We submit to Jesus. But we're still amazed by him at every point. Right? It's not out of like, oh, well, Jesus told me I have to do this. No, we say, yeah, of course, Lord. I'm, I'm glad to submit to you. And I'm just excited to know that I can be a part of what you want to do in this earth and in my life. I think the message of Jesus is very clear here in this verse, and I like it a lot. Let's go to verse 10. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, 
I said, everyone is a liar. These are interesting verses. They kind of, if you're reading this thing, they kind of seem a bit out of place. You're like, oh, this is a bit of a change in the attitude that this psalmist is writing with. But I think the message in this is about walking with the Lord, walking in his presence in submissive wonder to him. There's going to be times where that's going to be challenged in us, where that attitude, that lifestyle is going to be difficult. Some days we will be able to trust in the Lord despite hardships. And I think that's what verse 10 says. You know, we trust even though I am greatly afflicted. Other times our trust in him is going to be, need to be strong in great trials. Because there's going to be days where we may act rashly or thoughtlessly, speaking from our flesh, speaking from, you know, what we want to say rather than what God wants us to say. We're going to lash out at people, say, everyone's a liar. This world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Hey, let's... Let's just relax. God said that he suffered and that we also will suffer if we're going to share in his glory. So we just trust him and say, Lord, you conquered death. What more could, could stand against you? If you can do that for us, we will continue to trust in you. Even though I feel this affliction, I feel this conflict in my soul, Lord, I will walk with you because I believe that you're stronger than anything I could ever face. Ephesians 6 verse 12 kind of elaborates on this idea where it says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So we don't lash out against people, right? But we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly realms. See, this is a good reminder not to lash out against what's going on in this world, but just to remember, oh yeah, the battle is actually with the Lord, and as we trust in Him, that's where our victory is. It doesn't come from me overreacting to a situation. So this too is why God saved us, so that we would battle with him. Not in our strength, but in his. Verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Oh yeah, now we're, now we're really hitting it, guys. We've arrived at a turning point in this super important question here. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? So we've been in awe and wonder about the greatness of Jesus so far in this passage. By his grace, he saved us. We realize just how great his unfailing love is. And now we see this question. And this question doesn't just mean, so what? That's not what it's asking. Oh, no, no, no. We have to understand. This question is saying, Lord, what can I do for you since you have done so much for me? Uh, it's, it's such an important question, right? If, if we don't understand that the psalmist is asking this because out of joy he sees what God has done and he's like, Lord, like you've done an amazing thing. What can I do for you? How can, how can I participate in what you're doing for me? Like I just want to be fully involved. That, that shows a great heart attitude where it's not about all receiving, but it's about reciprocating what we've received and giving it back to God. And that's where... David, who wrote this psalm, he begins to answer these things in depth in a, in a few more verses here. So verse 13, he begins to answer this question. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So kind of a poetic thing to write. So we're going to have to pick this one apart a little bit and decode it. But what we need to understand is here is what Jesus has given us. Forgiveness for our sins, a new life in the land of the living, walking in the presence and in the wonder of God. He's given that to us. And now all we say is, Lord, I've received this, but I'm not going to hoard it. I want to hold it back up to you as a gift. You've given me eternal life. 
not for me to live for myself, but I receive this life and now I live it for you. He's returning what he has received from God back to him as a gift because he realizes that his life, the psalmist's life is rightfully God's. God saved us. We would have been dead and gone without him, but he saved us. So now what we have to offer back is exactly what he has already given us. So marvelous, right? Verse 14 continues on. It says, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So a vow is known as a, as a covenant or an agreement between us and God. You may say, okay, I, I get that. That's kind of an interesting term. I think I've heard those words before. But can you remind me, Jeff, what is this agreement that we've entered into with God? There's a couple of verses in Hebrews that I think really explain this well. Hebrews 8 verse 10 says this, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So it's about this relationship, right, where God says, I'm giving myself to them. I will be their God. And because I've written my my law on their minds and their hearts, they're going to say, oh, Jesus, we see what you've done. We want to be your people. So it's the beginning of this amazing relationship. And this is how this agreement came to be. And this is from Hebrews 9:14. But Christ was sinless and offered himself as an eternal and spiritual sacrifice to God. That's why his blood is much more powerful and makes our consciences clear. Now we can serve the living God and no longer do things that lead to death. So fulfilling our vows to the Lord means living out the relationship that we entered into with Jesus. His law is on our hearts and minds so that we will obey it and honor him. Only through Jesus' saving grace are we able to serve God and not continue in a dead-end lifestyle. Oh, the joy that we experience in fulfilling our vows to God. It's actually good for us. And glorifying to God. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. Just quickly on this one. I think what we need to see here is that God cares deeply for those who serve him. And live out their days for his glory. For us, we choose to serve Jesus with our lives. It's not out of obligation. But out of gratitude and love for all that Jesus has done for us. Verse 17. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. So this is really interesting. So this thank offering is not something that we have today in our churches. Thank offerings were, were given at the temple in, in Jerusalem in the Old Testament times, right? So we need to understand a couple of details about this because it won't make sense unless we, we figure out what the thank offering is all about. The most important detail about this, uh, is, is this offer from Jewish culture is important for us to know, and it's this. The thank offering was made, that was made to God was not mandatory, but was totally voluntary. It was a free will offering. There were lots of other offerings and sacrifices that God said, on this day, this is the offering. If you sin in this way, this is the sacrifice you must make. But a thank offering, all it says is whenever you give it, and then, and then it gives some details. So to me, this makes me wonder. What do I do for the Lord simply out of thanks for him? 
Is my life marked by doing things for God that are just the mandatory things? The things that he expects from us? Or the things that I feel comfortable doing? Or am I in such wonder and awe of God, still after all these years, that I move to thank him and praise him and serve him just because that's the desire of my heart? Here I think we're seeing that a thank offering, kind of a just because gesture, is what we should desire for our hearts to desire. <laughs> Interesting thing to pray, but I pray that Jesus changes the desires of my heart all the time. I read things in scripture and I, I'm like, I like that, but I don't know if I love that, but I want to. So Jesus, would you please change the desires of my heart? Help me to want to, and then whatever it is. Because if I don't want to do it, I'm probably not going to. And then even if I do it, I'm only doing it out of obligation not because I actually love Jesus. Last two verses from Psalm 116, verses 18 and 19. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So the vows, the agreement or covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus. It's amazing, right? Like we can see that. We can see that it's clearly why Jesus saved us. He loves us and he's calling us into this wonderful life. But verse 18 and 19 show us that this relationship with God is meant to follow us and direct us into all parts of our life. Is it a private thing, this relationship that's meant to be just between us and God? It doesn't seem like that after reading about this vow because it's fulfilled publicly in a, in a number of ways. Our relationship with God is seen as we interact with people. It's seen as we're in the church and it's seen in the city as we go about our business. So this idea of my life, your life being public or on display for other people to see Jesus in the way that we live, it reminds me of what Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 verse 14 and 6 to 16. It says, Jesus is saying this to us. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, the lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Now, I wanted to meditate on Psalm 116 with you today because I, I think it depicts what our response to Jesus is supposed to look like. We recognize all that Jesus' resurrection means for us, and then it leads us to ask, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? And the answer is, my whole life and nothing less. After all, that's exactly what Jesus gave us. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, I thank you so much for this reminder. It's amazing that these Psalms were written hundreds of years before you were even walking on this earth, Jesus. Yet the, the truth about you was evident in them. And I thank you, Lord, that no matter where we read, Anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, we can see you. We can see your love for us. We can see the relationship that we're meant to have with you. 
So we thank you, Father, that you are reminding us of what you have saved us for. So often we think about what you have saved us from, from hell, from sin, from punishment, from death. But Jesus, if we just dwell on what you save us from, we're missing something so crucial. Lord, please remind us day after day what you have saved us for. For a life lived for you. For serving you. For awe and wonder of the King of Kings.